So let's go to God in prayer. Let's remember Stacy, and uh, we'll have a chance to um, call out any other names that we want lifted up. I'm also going to pause for a moment during this prayer for just private confession. Uh, this is one of the things that I think as a body, it's important for us to come together and to confess our sins and then to hear that we're forgiven uh, in Jesus Christ, okay? So let's pray. God, we are grateful for this day. Um, as we gather together in this place with nice AC that works, and this is such a lovely setting for us to be in, we're grateful. We are um, hopeful that as we gather today for worship, even though we are here to uh, praise you and to give you glory, we also are expectant and hopeful that we will see you and feel you and be changed by you during this time of worship, that our minds might uh, be expanded just a little bit, that our hearts might be expanded, or as John Wesley said, that they might be strangely warmed, and that when we get to the end of this worship service and we head back out into the mission field, out into the world, that we'll have a sense that something has changed, that something is different. We know that for that to happen, Lord, we need to be honest about the ways in which we failed you this week. Uh, all of us, every single person in this room has made mistakes. We have uh, done some things, left some things undone. Um, we have thought some things, been unkind to others, uh, not loved our neighbor well. And so we just want to confess these things to you uh, corporately, but we also want to do it privately. And so I'm going to open up the floor just to take some time to confess privately things that we want to say. Hear now our confessions, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your love and your forgiveness. And we know that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. So thank you for that. Lord, as we were mentioning before, there are some folks that we want to lift up this morning, Stacy being one of them. Uh, we pray for uh, a sense of calm for him as he faces the unknown, as he faces possible dialysis, and what the future may hold. Just give him a supernatural sense of peace, even in the midst of the turmoil. Lord, we're going to lift up other names to you right now. In your mercy, we ask that you hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, 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 hear our prayer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all the pastors who recently retired and now are um, figuring out what life looks like in retirement, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the new DSs who are uh, beginning this new season of life, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For the new congregations that are forming in the wake of disaffiliation, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we lift these and any unspoken requests to you. Take them. Do good in each and every situation, and we trust you with that. Lord, as we now continue to sing, as we hug each other, as we take up offerings, as we listen to the scriptures, as we hear them expounded, as we take communion together, may you be glorified in all of it. And we pray this in your holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. I am using the New Testament for Everyone translation. Who's heard of that one? Not very many people. This is N.T. Wright's uh, translation of the New Testament. I thought it said it well. I think we've got this up on the screen too. So then, my brothers and sisters, we have boldness to go into the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated a brand new living path through the curtain that is his earthly body. We have a high priest who is over God's house. Let us therefore come to worship with a true heart, in complete assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on tightly to our confession of hope without being diverted. The one who announced the message to us is trustworthy. Let us as well stir up one another's minds to energetic effort in love and good works. We mustn't do what some people have got into the habit of doing, neglecting to meet together. Instead, we must encourage one another, and all the more as you can see the great day coming closer. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So folks, I've got some bad news. You and I have been told a lie. Well, at least maybe a half-truth. We've been told a half-truth. We have been told that the goal of faith is for you and I to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You ever heard that before? The goal is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That when we put our trust in Jesus, we can build on that personal relationship. 
And this happens one-on-one, and it can happen in our homes, or it can happen on the job. It can happen on our drive to the grocery store. It can happen while we're walking in the park. The lie portion of this is that faith is only about me and Jesus. What's that uh, famous poem about footprints in the sand? How many footprints are there? Two sets of footprints, and then there's one set of footprints, and that's when Jesus is carrying you, right? You see, you, see, you see how this comes in. Faith is about you and Jesus. And when you look down in the sand, you see two sets of footprints. Would it shock you if I said this morning that God is only available, at least in some sense, when we are gathered together just like we are this morning? Would that shock you? That the way God is present to us right now is not possible when you and I are alone. Does that shock you? Does that sound right? Would you, would you realize or recognize, we've been talking about this 13,000 plus citizens of Palestine that are home this morning. If you went to them and asked them, are you Christian? I would guess the bulk of them would say yes. And the reason that they're home this morning is because they have bought this lie hook, line, and sinker. Faith is about me and Jesus. I can worship Jesus at home. Thank you very much. Last week, I uh, was quoting the Catholics. Somebody said to me afterward, boy, you were, just, you were quoting all the Catholics. Well, guess what? I'm going to quote the Methodists this morning. There is a uh, United Methodist pastor named James Brian Smith. He's an author, pastor. He's a professor at Friends University in Wichita, which is a Quaker university, but he's, he's United Methodist. He wrote a series of books. Uh, one of them is called The Good and Beautiful Community. And he was talking in here about his first assignment, his first appointment was as a, an associate pastor. And he said he quickly found out that, he, that associate pastors get all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. And so the task that was given to him was, I want you to, the senior pastor said, I want you to call all of the folks that we haven't seen in church in three years and see what you can do to get them back in church. And so he spent hours making all these phone calls. Uh, Out of all of them, just a handful actually had a conversation with him, and only one lady invited him to come over and have tea. This is his experience with that lady. She took the initiative by asking me a lot of questions about my personal spiritual life. Eventually, I asked her similar questions, and she became very animated. Well, my relationship with God is everything to me. I spend an hour each morning in meditation and prayer and an hour before bed doing the same. Would you like to see where I pray, she asked. She took me to a special room in her home. The walls were covered in religious imagery, crosses and icons and paintings of religious figures. In the corner was a kind of altar or shrine with a kneeling bench. Beaming, she said, this is where I connect to God. We resumed our conversation back in the living room over a second cup of tea. Eventually, I asked, I was wondering, will we be seeing you in worship one of these Sundays? She replied quickly, oh no, church is not for me. I have all I need here in my prayer room. I get too discouraged by corporate worship. I'm fine, but thank you for inviting me. I suppose you should take me off the membership roll. I stammered for a moment. 
searching for something wise to say, but all I could think of was, are you sure you don't want to come back? Again, she responded politely, no, thank you, Reverend. As I have said, I have all I need right here, but thank you for coming and visiting with me. I liked hearing about your own journey into God. As I drove back to the church, I was profoundly discouraged. I had spent years training for ministry in the local church, and yet I had no response when a person told me that she had no need for the church, that she was just fine without it. I wondered, could she be right? Can a Christian live without a worshiping community? That's the question for us this morning. Is it possible to have a vibrant, healthy Christian life without a community that you are part of, that you are active in? I'm going to say the answer is no. The answer is no. You can survive, but you cannot thrive. You can get to heaven, but you might be hobbling into it. There is a reason that we have the church. You know, in the church, we uh, many Christians, I would say the, the bulk of, of Christians around the world, believe in something called sacraments. You guys have heard that word before, the sacraments. The sacraments is just a fancy word for saying these are places in which God promises to show up and to pour out grace upon His people through common things, common elements. And so two of the sacraments that we practice are baptism and communion. You know, these places where we take plain, ordinary water, could even be tap water, or we have bread from Kroger, and we have some Welch's grape juice from Kroger. These are just ordinary things. But whenever we set them aside, when we consecrate them, that God promises to show up and to do something invisible and amazing in and through them. That's called a sacrament. Well, i got to tell you that even though it's not uh, particularly labeled as a sacrament, the gathering together of Christians, like we are gathered this morning, is sacramental in nature. Because when we gather like this, God promises to show up and to pour out blessing upon us. If you don't believe me, consider the words of Jesus himself, Matthew 18, 20. You all know this verse. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There is something special that happens when God's people gather in the name of Jesus. And there is a presence that is not available when you are walking on the beach by yourself. Now, don't get me wrong, nature is beautiful. I've been to Muir Woods out in San Francisco. I, I have no doubt God is there. When I look out at this landscape, I see the thumbprint of God all over it. God is available, but the basic definition of the church, according to Jesus, is wherever two or three are gathered in his name. And Jesus says, there, I will be uniquely present. I will be with you. And invisible and supernatural grace will be poured out upon you anytime you gather in this manner. I thought it was so interesting because in my news feed this week, uh, an article in USA Today popped up. I think I may have put it on the Facebook page. The, the, the article was a doctor that was writing and saying, you know, we have long known the benefits 
to attending worship. There are mental benefits. There are physical benefits. People who go to church are just overall healthier. They're just healthier than people who don't go to church. And this was a doctor in this article urging people to go to church, saying people are healthier. Go to church. Practice your faith with other people. Do it. I thought it was so interesting. Of course, there are other reasons to prioritize gathering once a week for worship. Sure, it's good for us. Sure, Jesus promises to show up, but there are other reasons to do it. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 tells us that the early church did it. Every single Sunday, they gathered together in a home, in an upper room, wherever they could find. And they would do some of the same things that we do even today. They would uh, sing songs. They would pray. They would take up a collection for the poor. They would read the scriptures. Somebody would stand up and expound upon the scriptures. And then at the end of it, they would share communion together. This was the basic uh, display of, of that early worship form of Christianity. And they did it every single Sunday. If the early church can do it, we probably should do it too. Number two, think about this. The book of Revelation tells us that in heaven, gathered before the throne, are the saints and the angels worshiping God 24-7. When we take communion a little bit later, we're going to say something to the effect of, we join them in singing praises to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we gather together on Sunday morning, for one moment, heaven and earth are aligned. What happens nonstop in heaven, worship of God, the saints on earth are gathered together all over the globe this morning in various churches, and for just a, just a brief moment, heaven and earth are mirroring each other. Number three, gathering for worship presents a united front, a united declaration against the powers of darkness. When we gather into this place right now, what we are saying to the cosmic forces that we can't see, Jesus is Lord. And there are strength in numbers, right? You can shout that from your closet. You can have your little prayer room at your house, but your voice gathered with the other voices together, one united front, Jesus is Lord, and the darkness shall not overcome the light. That's power in that. Number four, gathering for worship trains us for eternity. Right? When we get into this place like this, we are from all different backgrounds, different political affiliations, different work environments, some rich, some poor, some old, some young, some white, some black, some gay, some straight, some whatever. And Paul says, you know what? As the church, there is now no longer Jew or Greek, man or woman. There is no American or Chinese. You have been baptized into Christ. And you better learn how to get along with one another now because you're going to be in eternity with them forever and ever. Right? This is the training ground right here. James Bryan Smith said in his book, we go to church not to be entertained, but to be trained. This is training for eternity right here 
right now. Gathering for worship also gives us what we need for the week ahead. Another United Methodist pastor, Adam Hamilton, in the walk. Five essential practices of the Christian life. This is what he says. He says, our souls, like our phones, need recharging. When we come together to worship, we are plugged into our source of spiritual power. In the midst of giving thanks, praying and praising and opening our hearts to God, we experience the power of the Holy Spirit. When we worship together, we lay our burdens before God. We ask for and receive His mercy, and we are filled anew with His Spirit. We hear His Word, our marching orders for life. We feast at the table of the Lord's Supper, and then we leave renewed, inspired, and ready to serve God and serve others for another week. Have you ever noticed that if you skip church, just something feels off the rest of the week, right? People tell me that all the time. It's true. It's true. Like if the whole week is us in the mission field, then then where do you get recharged for the mission? This is it. This is your opportunity right here to come together, to worship together as one people, to receive that hidden grace that's poured out when people gather in the name of Jesus. These are all great reasons to go to church. Jesus shows up, health benefits, the early church did it, it mirrors heaven, it presents a united declaration against the powers of darkness, it trains us for eternity, it gives us what we need for the week ahead. These are all great reasons. But I see in this passage of Hebrews that I just read to you probably the most important reason to go to church. Did you catch it when I read it? You know, in the world, uh, we just celebrated 4th of July, right? We have these holidays, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. All of these days are, are set aside for Americans to remember and to honor servicemen and women who sacrificed so that we might have the freedom that we have. One of those freedoms being to gather into this place. Right? We are here today in an air-conditioned building because we are free to do so. And there, there, is, no, there, there is no power above that, that that's coming against us and saying you can't gather in this manner. Right? So we recognize that. We have all these ways that we remember that. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus didn't give you the freedom to worship. He actually gave you the ability to worship. Now, what do I mean by that? Think about this. Before Jesus, the mode of worshiping for God's people was at the temple in Jerusalem. You got this huge structure, this thing that existed. We've got drawings of it. We don't really know what it looked like, but, but based on the descriptions in Scripture, we can pretty much guess. It was a big structure. You got the outer court uh, where the Gentiles could assemble. Then you got the inner court where only Jews could go. But then inside of that, you had another room. And then inside of that, you had what was called the Holy of Holies. Now, this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. You've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That thing is powerful. When you take the lid off, bad things happen, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, the high priest for that year could enter through the curtain into the Holy of Holies 
and present requests and make sacrifices on behalf of the people in that place. I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but it was, it was such a dangerous place to be that they would tie a rope around the leg of the high priest with bells on it. If the bells stopped ringing, they knew he had dropped dead and they could pull him back out because nobody could go in that room. Okay, so if you were a Jew, if you worship God, you could travel to Jerusalem, you could gather at the temple, you could even go into the inner courts, but you didn't go into the presence of God. One person got to do that once a year. The best you could hope for is to be somewhere in the vicinity and to have the high priest come out and say, you're good for another year. We've atoned for the sins. Everything's good, right? That was before Jesus. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that when Jesus gave up his life, that curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the people was torn in two, signifying that now because of Jesus, every man, every woman, every child can boldly approach God in the assembly of his people as often as they like. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the ability to be in the vicinity of God without dropping dead is now available to you. To be gathered in this place, knowing that wherever two or three are gathered, God promises to show up and to pour out blessing. This is a gift that was given to you and me that cost Jesus his life. So the most important reason, according to the writer of Hebrews, to gather for church is because it cost Jesus dearly for you to have not the freedom, the ability to do it and the freedom to do it. I was thinking about how churches are built. And we don't really, uh, we don't function this way, but churches are still built this way. Have you ever thought about do you know what this section is when you first come in the front doors? you know what that's called? The narthex. Do you know what the narthex was for? The narthex was the place that the unbelievers could go. They could not enter into the sanctuary. This is the sanctuary, right? What stands at the door from the narthex into the sanctuary? What's there? Got a candle on it, a little bowl of water, baptismal font, right? What does that symbolize? That is so that you remember when you were baptized, you were baptized into the community, into Christ, into God's holy covenant people. You now have access to enter into the sanctuary with boldness. That's, that's, we don't do that anymore. We let anybody come in, right? But, but that's how churches were built to kind of model this Jewish temple idea. The outer courts where the Gentiles could go, inner courts, Jews, holy of holies, priests only, right? Well, you now have access to that holy of holies symbolically when you're entering into this place. When you approach this altar, when we consecrate these elements and you come up to take communion, it, it's like approaching God's presence. And you can do that with boldness because Jesus said it's okay. Come up and present your request to God. Receive forgiveness. Take the grace that is being offered to you. Do this without any fear. This is what happens when we come to, ch to church together. And so this is why 
the writer of Hebrews ends his little thought with this warning. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some people have gotten in the habit of doing. Don't neglect to come together on Sunday morning as some people have gotten in the habit of doing. This costs Jesus dearly. Make sure you take advantage of it. Right? Now at this point, you may be wondering, if, if gathering in person is so important, what about those who can't come to church? What about the folks that are in hospitals or stuck at home or in prison? Are they somehow not as blessed as us? Well, this is why we have visitation, Dan. This is why we go out on Mondays, two or three, coming in Jesus' name with prayers and songs and communion. When you can't come to the assembly, the assembly comes to you. This is why visitation is so important. If you ever want to be a part of that, just let me or Dan know. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to go out and visit these folks that we haven't seen in a while or we can't see, right? But we believe that when we go to see them, when we go to visit them, that Jesus is among us and the same gifts that they could receive in this place. And we even take the bread. It's the same bread that we've shared on Sunday is what we take to them on Monday. So important. So let's see. We've, uh, we, we've talked about our strategic values for Grace Church moving forward into the future. The first week we talked about what? Who was paying attention? Giving. Give generously in your money, in your time, in your prayers, in your service. Give generously. Week two, what was week two? Hospitality. Hospitality. Receive guests like they are family. When they walk in that door, let them know we are so glad that they are here. Go over and above and beyond in making them feel welcome when they walk into this place. It's already odd enough when you come into a place that you've never been before. So we need to make sure that we make it a comfortable place. Receive guests like family. Today, attend church every single week. You guys see where I'm going with this? Give generously. Receive guests like family. Attend church every week. What do you think next week is going to start with? Does anybody get it yet? All right. You just ponder that this week. You just ponder that. It'll, it'll come to you. Folks, to grow in grace, we need to commit to attending church every week. Now, this is barring illness. Uh, this is barring emergencies. This is barring vacation. I think everybody should go on vacation. Even Jesus took time off, right? But I'm talking about a normal week, just like a normal week where nothing's going on. If you are in town, commit to being at church. Commit to being at church. If you have family visiting, bring them to church. Right? Just because your family's in town doesn't mean you have to stay home. Bring them to church or say, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to church for an hour. I'll see you in a bit. Right? If you are traveling, I think it's a good idea to visit a local church. Go to church. 
And I went up to Minnesota, Minneapolis. I said, I'm going to go to church. I want to go check out another church. And so I did. I, I went and visited another UMC, right? Go to church. If you have a hard time getting up in the morning, go to bed earlier. <laughs> Set an alarm clock. Set two alarm clocks. Do whatever you need to do because, folks, this gathering together in this place like this, it's sacramental. Something is happening right now. Yes, you can connect to God. Yes, you can grow in your relationship with Jesus on your own. But there is something you cannot get on your own when you are gathered into this place. God is pouring out grace upon you right now. God is giving you what you need for the week ahead. You are training for eternity. These folks that you're sitting next to right now, they're going to be in eternity with you. Learn how to love them well. Gasps. Gasps. Right? Not only that, our brothers and sisters that are gathered this morning all over Palestine in various churches, right? We're all going to be in eternity together. Okay? So it's good to start training for that now. We were reading in our Sunday school morning, our Sunday school class this morning, how Jesus, his last prayer before he was crucified was that the church might be unified, that they might be one. And then he says, and I want them to be one so that the world will know that I am who I said I am and that God loves them. There's something about a unified church. When we come together in this, not only are we declaring to the forces of evil that Jesus is Lord, we're declaring to the world, Jesus loves you. It's important to go to church. So let's not miss the blessing of being with God and with God's people in the presence of God. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, pray that this sermon would be received as I intended it. I don't want this to be a guilt trip. Uh, I'm not trying to tell people that their salvation is somehow hinged upon coming to church, but I also want to reflect upon what it cost Jesus for us to be gathered in this place like this. And that what you are doing in and through us when we gather is so, so important. And so I think we need to take that seriously, and I pray that we would. I pray that as this local congregation, that we would just commit to being here when we can that we would be a generous people, that we would be a hospitable people, and that we would be a gathering people, and that we would see the value in coming together. Lord, as we commit to these things, as we practice them, we pray that you would continue to use us mightily, and that the 13,000 people who are at home this morning because they believe there's only two sets of footprints in the sand, that they would begin to see the value in gathering, and that their hearts would be pricked, that their consciences would be pricked, and they would say, maybe there is something to this. Maybe I need to go be in church somewhere. And if that's us, if they come here, that we would just love them well, receive them in. We thank you for calling us into the work that Jesus began and continues to do 
into mission. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all grab the hand of the person next to you. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, Breakfast Club, 9 a.m. at Denny's. If you want to come uh, take a sneak peek at the scriptures that I'll be preaching on next Sunday, come hang out with us, okay? With that, will you receive this blessing? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, you're completely forgiven, and you're uniquely empowered because you've gathered here today. Now you're called to go out into the mission field and live as God's faithful children. Guess what, folks? You're going to make some mistakes this week because we all do. But God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in the nature of God. God is love. So that by amazing grace, when He looks at us, He says, you know, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. Can you imagine what tomorrow would look like if you left here believing that? I think you'd have a great week. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word. Go from this place in peace. Amen.